evidence and answers. What about the existence of God? Is the Bible real? Can it be trusted? How do I defend my faith? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, listen as our host, Pat Zucran, and his guest, Clint Manley, share their testimonies at the 2019 Avion Youth Apologetics Conference held in Honolulu. Hey, it is good to be with you folks. It's great to see young folks out here together worshiping the Lord. I hope you have a great time, not only the things that you learn, but making perhaps some new friends here with one another. High school is one of the most challenging times in anyone's life. I had a really tough high school. It's a time when your mind and your body are developing as the hormones start kicking in and you're discovering yourself but at the same time you're facing emotional, relational, intellectual hardships with an intensity you'll probably never have again for the rest of your life. And there are two great needs that we all have that we really become aware of when we hit the high school years and that's the need to be loved and the need to be accepted just for who we are and you know I never got that from my family my dad was a pretty harsh critical guy always critical of us and we never seemed to measure up to his expectations and so I sought for love and acceptance the only way that I knew how. And that was to be a successful athlete or to become a rebel. Growing up, I was kind of weird. You know what I want to be when I grew up? I want to be a pro wrestler. And I didn't want to be the good guy. I wanted to be the bad guy. I always loved the bad guy. I don't know why. You know, I love antagonizing the crowd and making trouble to the crowd. Everybody booing you. When I played football and baseball, I would always taunt the crowd, and, and it stirred me on that they're the guy that, you know, I was the guy everybody was booing, and, you know, I just seemed to accelerate in that kind of just, just being a rebel. Well, in high school, now there's my family. My dad's all the way at the end. He died a few years ago, but he was a very critical guy, and I could never live up to his expectations. So that's why I was seeking love and acceptance in athletics and just being a rebel. Well, in high school, I became pretty successful in sports. In fact, there's a picture of me in high school. Yeah, I was once in high school, long, long time ago. By the way, this is the first time this picture has been out in public. No one, no one's seen it. So, yes, okay, so let's get out of there. You know, and I had a lot of friends, but I was empty inside, trying to live up to others' expectations and constantly trying to win the respect of my classmates, left me tired. But it also, man, left me hollow inside. My family was not very close, so I could not really share my struggles with my brothers or sisters or, or my parents. But most of my relationships, you know, were superficial and, and they were mostly self-centered. And I sought to fulfill my self-esteem needs. My, I found value in trying to be a good athlete. But in the end, that too left me empty. And it's then I began asking the question when I was your age, is this all there is? 
to my life? This is this all I have to look forward to? It led me to ask another question, like, you know, why am I even here? What is the purpose of my life? Will anyone ever love me just for who I am, or must I always perform up to a certain standard in order for people to like and accept me? Is there a God? Does he even care? Does he have a plan for my life? This led me to search for answers, and I began with Buddhism. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Japanese Buddhist home, and so the religion I grew up in and was introduced to was Buddhism, and I was a member of the Young Buddhist Association. That's why I learned to play sports and judo and karate and all that, and uh, I began to investigate Buddhism, and I soon discovered Buddhism is an atheistic system, and you can't live out the teachings of Buddha. It's not a livable system. Well, I attended Iolani High School. Iolani's an Episcopal high school. It's on the liberal end. And our priest taught us, you know, throughout high school that the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales. It's a bunch of myths and fables. All right? So we, didn't, we never took it seriously. And as I looked at the other religions, I saw that they were all based on stories that weren't even true, mostly myths and legends. And so eventually, I became an atheist. I thought, all religions are a bunch of fairy tales, and there is no God. Really, science has explained everything, and there's no need for God, and God doesn't even exist. And, you know, atheism proved to be the emptiest of all belief systems because it teaches the universe is an accident. And just like the universe, we're all simply accidents, products of nothing more than time and chance. So ultimately, there's no meaning or purpose for our existence. We live a meaningless life. We die and cease to exist ever after. So high school was a difficult time in my life as I struggled with these issues, wandering without direction, not seeing much hope in the future. But one day, things changed. Late in my junior year in high school, a good friend of mine on the baseball team became a Christian. Now, I played shortstop, and he played third base. And so we were pretty good friends. And he kept inviting me to church. And I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want anything to do with religion. And one day, he tricked us, okay? and he got us to go to church with him. Saturday night, he invited us to a party at his girlfriend's house. And we went there, and that's the night she dumped him, you know? And so he was all night, belly aching all night about what a lousy party it was, singing songs about what a lousy party and this and that. And we had to listen to him belly ache all night long. Well, the next day, instead of taking us home like he promised, he took us all to church. And I remember I wasn't very happy about it, and I let him know that. And I walked in, and I sat in the back row. And as the service started, I fell asleep. And I fell asleep through the whole service. People stood up, sat down, stood up to sing, and I was sleeping through the whole thing. But at the end of the service, I woke up, and I heard two Bible verses that changed my life forever. They were doing something called communion, the Lord's Supper. All right? I didn't know what that was. And the pastor stood up and said, uh, and God says to you this, Matthew 11, verse 20, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was saying, give me all your burden, because I want to give you rest. Man, and I was a teenager. I was struggling. 
I had a lot of issues I was dealing with, and whoever I went to always said, don't bother me with your problems. I've got enough of my own, all right? Go figure it out yourself. But here, the God of the universe was saying, come, give your problems to me. I want to give you rest. Wow, I, I woke up. And then the preacher recited Matthew 28. Jesus said, and remember this, I'll be with you always, even till the very end of the age. And I did a double take. I listened to him repeat it again. And God was saying, Pat, I'll be with you always. Good, bad, and ugly. I'll never abandon you. Even to the worst of times, I will always be there. You know, most of my friends were around me when, you know, the times were good. When times got tough, they were gone. You know, if there was a good-looking girl coming by, they were gone. You know, so much for any kind of loyalty or anything. But the God of the universe made a commitment, said, be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And I thought to myself, you know, no one makes a commitment like that. Most of you are going to get married, and the final sentence on your vows is what? Till death do us part. Someday you'll be separated. But the God of the universe said, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And I was surprised to hear that the God of the universe loved me and desperately wanted to be a part of my life. He wanted to carry my burdens and give me rest, to be in a commitment that would never ever come to an end. He created me and designed me for a purpose and a mission and a wonderful life that I was called to discover and to fulfill. And you know what? It was the greatest message that I had ever heard. That was the first time I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I prayed in the pew that day. I said, God of the Bible, if you are for real, I want to know you. Well, the next day I went to the school priest and I said, hey, Father so-and-so, I went to church the other day, and man, I heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God of the universe loves us, came and died for us, made a relationship possible, and you have a relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. And the priest looked at me with really no emotion, and he said, well, I'm glad you found religion. Religion is good if it makes you happy. Uh, not everything in the Bible is true, and hey, any religion is fine. If Christianity makes you happy, oh, good for you. You know, and I was shocked to see that this priest who had studied this all his life didn't really seem to believe in the Bible. Well, I signed up for his Bible class because I just want to learn the Bible. And in that Bible, we were presented numerous historical errors in the Bible and naturalistic explanations that many of the miracle stories had natural explanations or were simply fairy tales and legends. I went to church and, and I brought up a lot of these alleged errors that, that I had been learning in school. In fact, I still got the textbook from high school. You know, I was learning there's no evidence for the Exodus. You know, the dating of the Exodus doesn't even match the biblical records. Moses and the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea. Well, they actually crossed the Sea of Reeds, which is two feet deep at low tide. Anyway, it's not a miraculous crossing. The Gospels were written over a hundred years after Jesus and passed down orally. And the priest had us play that telephone game. You know, if I whisper something in his ear, by the time he whispers it and gets all the way to the back, it was a completely different story. And that's what happened with the Gospels. They were passed down orally until over a hundred years later. They were finally written and, and Jesus feeding the 15 turned into the 50, turned into the 100, turned into the feeding of the 5,000. 
and exaggerations and myths, that's how they get into the text. The story of the virgin birth, the resurrection. Oh, we have those all over in Greek mythology. Christianity simply just borrowed them. And I kept going to that church and, and saying to everyone, look, man, there's Greek in the book of Daniel. If Daniel's supposed to be written in the time of the Babylonians, why do we have Greek in here? You know, the Greek empire didn't come until centuries later. Something's wrong here. And it seemed like the case against Christianity was strong, and I became discouraged about the Savior I had come to embrace. And I went back to church each week, and I said, hey, look, we got another issue here. And after several months, I began to conclude Christianity is like all the other religions, you know, unhistorical and based on myths. And, and in other words, it was not true. You know, and I thought Christianity is probably the greatest story I have ever heard. But if it's not true, then it's not for me. Well, after a few months of seeking and not finding the answer, I was about to walk away from Christianity. When a friend gave, you know, we were sitting there at lunch after church, and I was just pouring on the questions to him, and he said, you know what, I don't have any answers for you, but here's a book that might help you. And he gave me a small little book on Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. And I began to read that book, and I was completely fascinated. I had never read a book before. I was 17. It's going to one of the top schools in the state, and I hadn't read a book before. How do you get through school, you're wondering? I cheated. Cliff notes. It's asking your friends, hey, what's on the test? Okay? I never really read through a book. But my parents were wondering, what's going on with this guy? He's suddenly reading a book. And for the first time I saw, there is powerful and compelling evidence for the truth of Christianity. There's powerful evidence that God exists. For example, Clint's going to tell you a lot more tomorrow, but, you know, in the nucleus of a cell, we have discovered now that the nucleus of a cell is more complex than the city of New York. If you're wandering through the desert and you come over the final hump and you look and you see a city, you don't think, wow, what a great feat of evolution. It's amazing how wind, rain, and lightning somehow brought together that magnificent city. No, immediately you realize... I'm at civilization. Where there's complexity in design, it points to an intelligent designer. The brain is more complex than any computer we've ever created. You know, if we put down all the information that's in your brain in book form, we'd fill over 30 million volumes of books, enough books that we could stack it from here to the moon. That's how complex your brain is. When you see a computer, you don't say, oh, what a great feat of evolution. You say, oh, somebody made that. How much more the human brain, which is a thousand times more complex than any computer we have made. There's compelling evidence that there is an intelligent creator. Has he made himself known? Well, I discovered that the Bible is a unique book unlike any other. It's not only historically accurate, it has miraculous confirmation. It's one of a kind. There's no other book like it. And we're going to learn more about that tomorrow. And the Bible gives us an accurate record of the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a real historical person who lived a miraculous life, died, and rose again. In the context, not of fairy tale, but of history. And we're going to learn about that tomorrow as well. And after finishing that book, you know, I went back to my friend. I said, is there another book like this? And he said, yeah, go to the Christian bookstore. I said, what's a Christian bookstore? 
He said, well, let me take you. So I went there, and I got another book on apologetics, and then another one. And my parents were freaking out. You know, they're going, what's going on with this guy? He's only reading books. And soon I discovered the case for Christianity was powerful and compelling, and I could no longer ignore the facts that supported the life of Jesus Christ. And the answers I was looking for, I found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ and his word. And it's then I knew that I had a decision to make. The God who created the universe wants to have a personal relationship with you and me. And the meaning of life, the basis of our self-worth, experiencing that unconditional love, experiencing life for all that it was ever meant to be, is found in a relationship with the God who created you and me. And this is the greatest message ever. And the cool thing about this is that this message is indeed true. And this weekend, we're going to share the compelling evidence for the gospel. And I hope that when this conference is over, many of you will be strengthened in your faith, and some of you will make the greatest decision of your life. Thank you. God bless you. And we'll have Clint from Molokai coming up here to share his story of how he found faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to open it up in prayer, actually. Dear Lord, I love you, and, and I want to show you off tonight. And uh, I pray that you would fill my mouth with your words, and you would guide my tongue, and you would open hearts in this place. And above all, Lord, that you would just be made glorious, Lord, and, and that we would see you in a new way through this time. We love you, and, and we give you this time, Lord, in your name. Amen. We heard an awesome testimony from Pat just a, a moment ago, and... I don't know any of you guys, and so when I was preparing and when Pat asked me to come speak to you and share my testimony, I wasn't sure exactly who I was speaking to. So the way I reasoned was I thought what I would want to tell my 15-year-old self. If I could be back in that position and I could go talk to 15-year-old Clint, I thought through what I would want to say to him. And, and so that's what I want to share with you guys tonight. And apologetics didn't have quite so powerful a role in my Christian faith, but it did have a role, and so I'm going to share that with you. But I want to read one verse before I start because I think it's incredibly powerful. And this is Jesus speaking in John 15:11, And he says, I have told you these things, these words I have spoken, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my life can really be divided into three stages, I guess you could say. And they were defined by what I did with Christ and, and how that resulted in my life. And the first stage of my life is I was deceived. And you heard a little bit about this with Pat. Pat was deceived into uh, thinking that other things would satisfy him in his life. And, and I had the same thing. But I actually grew up in a Christian home. I had very godly parents. Um, in fact, my parents were missionaries on Molokai, and my dad is still there. He's a pastor, and they were incredibly godly people. I was always in church, and I knew all the Bible. I knew it inside and out. I heard the stories all the time. I was continually exposed to it. I didn't understand. I didn't understand that Christianity is about knowing Jesus. It's not about just knowing things about him. It's about knowing him personally. And I didn't understand that. And so I did the right things, but I did them out of a sense of duty. I just did them because that's what I was told to do. And I grew up in the church and, and that's what everyone around me did. So 
I, I did the right things because I, I could do them. I had the capability, and so I worked. And I did a good job. I was a worship leader when I was in high school. I wrote songs. I was a youth group leader. I helped lead Christian camps. I did all kinds of stuff. I, I looked really good from the outside. But the only reason that I did right things is because I was told to do them. And the only reason I didn't do wrong things is really because I didn't want to disappoint my dad. To this day, I, I value my dad and his opinion. I think he's an incredibly godly man. But when I was in high school, probably the scariest thing you could have said to me is that I would disappoint my dad uh, because I valued his opinion so much. And so I didn't do wrong things because I didn't want my dad to catch me doing wrong things. And I did a really good job. I never drank in high school. I never took a sip of alcohol. I never swore. I never kissed a girl in high school. I was a pretty good kid from the outside. But that kind of willpower religion uh, or doing or obedience out of obligation, it'll never last. Pat talked about being exhausted. You get to a point where you just, you're not satisfied. And God tells us this in Isaiah 55 too. He asks us, why do you work for what does not satisfy? And so I came to the point where I thought Jesus was boring, and so I traded him. I exchanged him for other things. See, I thought in order to get to heaven, I had to leave the fun things, and I had to go follow Jesus, who I kind of thought was boring. I even got to the point where I thought heaven sounded boring. I don't want to go sit in a worship service forever. That doesn't sound like a, like a good thing to do. I'm sure maybe some of you have had those thoughts before. And so I exchanged Jesus for other things. Romans 1.23 says, They exchanged the glory or the beauty of God for an image made like man. So what I did is I said, Jesus, I see you. I kind of think you're boring. You're not satisfying me, so I'm going to go try other things. And so I was deceived by sin. And let me tell you guys what the lie of sin is. Here's what it is. It says, if you do this, or if you try this, or if you get this, you'll be happy, or you'll be satisfied, or life will be better. But that's the same exact lie that Satan's been telling since the garden, guys. He, he told Eve the exact same thing. And, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. See, I tasted pornography. I thought that it would be satisfying, that it would fill this desire that I had to be fulfilled. And, and so I, I tasted it. And you know, there were glimpses of satisfaction in that. There's going to be glimpses of satisfaction in sin, but I was drowning in a sea of misery. And sin lies to you guys, and it brings spiritual amnesia is what I call it. Let me show you the pattern. See, I thought this thing would be satisfying, and so I tried it. And James 1.14 says that, that we are drawn away by our own desires and that we are led into sin. And the first taste is good. But immediately it turns to rottenness in your mouth. And you ask, man, why did I do that? Why did I do that? You have a sense of guilt. And then what happens with me is, is I would swear, man, I'm never going to do that again. And then a week, a day, an hour later, I would fall into it again. And I'd listen to that same lie that sin told me. And I think, oh, maybe this time it'll be satisfying. Or maybe if I try a little bit more, then it'll be good. And before I knew it, I was enslaved to sin. And I lived in this slavery to sin for years and years while on the outside, it looked like a perfect Christian boy. And even though I was successful and respected, I was really, I was miserable on the inside. I was an all-American wrestler when I was in college. I was a leader in the church. Like I said, I graduated valedictorian from my high school. I was the first person ever from Molokai to be accepted to the Air Force Academy. 
and I was miserable inside. And so I went to the Air Force Academy, and while I was there, I continued trying out other things to, to see if I could find something that would fill this, this void in me. We've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call at 483-0586, or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Evidence and Answers.